If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. British summertime is finally here and we want you to make the most of it by getting to know more of the history you love with a subscription to BBC History magazine. Subscribe this summer and get six issues for just £24.99, saving 30% on the shop price. Plus, when you sign up, you will also receive a book of your choice from Russia, Revolution and Civil War, 1917-1921 by Anthony Beaver, In Search of the Dark Ages by Michael Wood, signed edition, or In Search of Mary Seacole, The Making of a Cultural Icon by Helen Rappaport, signed edition. To take advantage of this offer and for more information, visit www.buysubscriptions.com forward slash summer reads 2022. Offer ends on the 5th of August 2022. Offer only available to UK residents. Please visit website for terms and conditions. <laughs> Welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine and BBC History Reveal. I'm Ellie Cawthorn. In the 3rd century BC, the brilliant Carthaginian leader Hannibal had the Roman Republic, the ancient world's greatest power, at his mercy. In a new book on Hannibal... Philip Freeman reveals how the North African general struck such fear into the people of Rome that his name became a byword for terror for centuries. Here, in conversation with Spencer Mizzen, Philip reveals how Hannibal outfoxed his mortal enemies, only to throw it all away. So first up, Philip, what, what made you want to write a book about Hannibal? What, what is it about his story that... Is a historian and author you find so compelling? 
Well, it's such a great story. He's somebody that I've known about, of course, since I was a little kid, and I read the the children's books with pictures of him marching the elephants across the Alps. And uh, I know I've always been interested in him, but I wondered as I uh, progressed in my career, as I taught about Hannibal in university classes, if the sources might not be quite as honest uh, as we would like. They're all Roman sources. They're all written by the victors. Uh, And so I wondered if I could find out, at least to some degree, uh, what the, 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 the truer picture of Hannibal might be, uh, if I could look at it from the Carthaginian side, uh, unlike all of the, uh, the Roman sources uh, that we have. I, I didn't want to whitewash Hannibal. I didn't want to turn him into a, just a, a wonderful person uh, because he was uh, a man like any other. He was a general. He could be very brutal at times. But I wanted to try to give a more balanced image of Hannibal than the one that we've gotten in the past. And how easy or difficult was it to get hold of these Carthaginian sources? I I mean, I imagine they're greatly outnumbered by the Roman ones. Absolutely. In fact, there are none. (laughs) All all (laughs) we have, well, that's not quite true. All we have uh, of Carthaginian sources are the ones embedded in Roman sources. So if, if we have the, uh, the Roman historian Livy say, uh, every now and then, you know, I read about this Carthaginian source that said this, uh, or at least infer that, uh, that Livy is getting it from a Carthaginian source, uh, that's the, the, the best way to do it. It's a very imperfect system, uh, to, to try to, to uncover the Carthaginian sources. But the Romans, um, they could be uh, on occasion fair uh, about Hannibal, uh, and when they are, uh, it, it's a reasonable assumption that they are getting that probably from a Carthaginian or at least a neutral source. You begin your book by telling the story of how Hannibal's father took him to the great temple of Baal Hamon, who's chief god of Carthage, and made him vow his eternal hatred of Rome. Now, can you can you? Tell us why, even before Hannibal's rise to power in the late 3rd century BC, Roman Carthage were, were such bitter foes. Sure. Uh, Rome uh, is, of course, in central Italy. Carthage is in northern Africa. They're not all that far away from each other. At the beginning, you know, about 500 BC or so, they were actually allies. Uh, they uh, cooperated as Rome was growing, but Rome was a very ambitious uh, republic, uh, and they wanted to expand and they wanted to grow. And Carthage was, as we say in America, the other big kid on the block, uh, and it was inevitable uh, that they were going to. Uh, uh, run into each other and in, in, into each other's spheres of interest. Uh, and so as the centuries passed, um, the Romans and the Carthaginians came into conflict, especially in Sicily. That is where they first met in battle. And they fought, and it was bitter, uh, and um, the Romans are, were unrelenting, uh, and the Carthaginians ended up losing that war. Uh, the First Punic War is what we call it in retrospect. Uh, and they lost that war. Uh, and so Hannibal's father, Hamilcar, was one of the generals at the end of that war. He felt that they, uh, the Carthaginians, um, the Senate was not supportive, that they maybe could have done better, maybe even have won that war. Uh, and so when he had to withdraw his troops from Sicily, when he had to, uh, when Carthage had to pay a great uh, fine for the war, 
uh, Hamilcar was just bitter. Uh, and so he, uh, Hannibal, his son, grew up uh, hearing uh, about how awful Rome was uh, and about the humiliation of losing the First Punic War. So he grew up hearing from his father, we've got to strike back at Rome. We've got to get back at Rome. Uh, and so that's why we get the story uh, of Hannibal in the uh, the temple in Carthage with his father vowing eternal hatred of Rome and it's a it's a story told in Roman sources but I kind of believe it's true. Uh, I, I kind of think it's a, a, a likely uh, likely it happened pretty much like that. So Rome would have loomed large in Hannibal's imagination. It, it is a young adult then, basically. Oh, absolutely. He he knew about Rome. He heard about Rome. Uh, there were people who had fled from Rome who were exiles or allies of Rome that came to Carthage, that came to his father's camp in Spain. So he knew uh, a lot uh, about uh, about Rome. He worked with veterans who had fought against Rome. Uh, and so he uh, he was a great student of Rome. So at what point in Hannibal's life did it become clear that there was something special about him, that he was destined for great things? Well, when he was nine years old, he went to Spain with his father, uh, and his father uh, conquered uh, most of southern and eastern Spain, and Hannibal was with him all the time. Uh, Hannibal studied uh, mathematics and Greek and literature and all of that, but he also studied war, uh, and he studied war firsthand with his father and his generals. Uh, and it became clear to them as he was a young man, as he was a teenager, that this there was something special. He wasn't just the commander's son. Uh, he was... Uh, an extraordinary talent uh, in warfare. He had tremendous endurance. He became known as somebody who would um, who, who didn't put on airs at all. Who would uh, wrap himself in a blanket and sleep on the front lines with the men. He didn't treat himself as anything special. He suffered. Uh, if the men were hungry, he was hungry, uh, and he was a, a great leader. He was good at relating to all of the different nations and peoples who were in the Carthaginian army. Army because they were made up of not just Carthaginians, but Africans and Celts and all sorts of different people. So Hannibal undoubtedly learned their languages uh, and was just very, very good uh, at, uh, at dealing with men, uh, dealing with uh, the harshness of war. Now, you say there was people from lots of different nations within the, the Carthaginian army. I mean, just to give a bit of background uh, to the wars between Carthage and Rome, what sort of place was Carthage? We obviously know lots and lots about Rome. Percy, I know less about Carthage. So I just wonder if you could give us a bit of detail on that, please. Sure. Uh, Carthage was founded uh, about the year 800, more or less, from Phoenicia over in the eastern Mediterranean uh, in what's now Lebanon. They were founded as a, a colony of the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians founded lots of colonies all around the Mediterranean and beyond. Uh, but Carthage was well positioned and they grew uh, as an independent power uh, separate uh, from uh, Phoenicia. Uh, they were a great merchant empire. They were, um, I mean, they had an army. They uh, certainly uh, could be cruel at, at times, uh, but really business was their interest, making money, sailing ships, transporting goods all over the Mediterranean to North Africa, up into Europe, even probably uh, into uh, the British Isles. Um, they were a great mercantile empire. Uh, as opposed to Rome, Rome was uh, much more of a military-focused uh, empire, whereas Carthage was much more of a commercial uh, merchant empire. 
So when did Hannibal start taking the fight to Rome? You know, when, when did he when did he feel confident enough to start striking back at this age old foe? Well, after his father uh, died, uh, was killed in battle in Spain, uh, Hannibal eventually took over as the commander. He was only in his late twenties at this point, uh, and he uh, he. Um, consolidated his, his position in Spain. He developed strong enough ties with all of his allies. Uh, I think it was always in Hannibal's mind what he was going to do. I think he was always planning to take the war to Rome. Uh, and that was the last thing that Rome was ever expecting. Uh, Hannibal, uh, I think from the beginning, knew that he would fight a war with Rome. He just had to figure out how best to do it. Uh, and there was a, a city, a Roman ally city, it's called Saguntum in Spain. Uh, and Hannibal attacked it. And after he had attacked it, the Romans uh, declared war. Uh, they said, that's it, uh, that's enough. And that's exactly, I think, what Hannibal wanted. So he decided at that point to, um, to, to begin the war. I mean, the Romans had actually declared war already. So Hannibal said, um, good, okay. Uh, and that's when he decided to do, to take the very unusual move of marching to Italy. Because the Romans expected a war. Um, they were all prepared. Uh, they they loaded up their ships. Uh, they were going to sail to Africa, sail to Spain, uh, have a really nice war there, uh, and uh, defeat the Carthaginians, and that would be it. But Hannibal uh, changed everything. Uh, when he marched with his army up through Spain, across Gaul, over the Alps, and into Italy, uh, it threw the Roman calculations off totally. They had to recall their armies uh, back from Africa and Spain uh, in order to defend Rome itself and the uh, and the Italian territories. Uh, so uh, he, he was taking a tremendous risk, Hannibal was, uh, in invading Italy. But uh, it, it, at least at first, it worked. As you just mentioned, I mean, it's, when anybody thinks of Hannibal, they... I imagine, envisage a brilliant general leading his army over the snowy Alps while sat atop an elephant. How extraordinary an undertaking was this to, to lead thousands of men over this mountain range? Well, it was extraordinary. That's a great word for it. Uh, people had been crossing the Alps uh, for you know millennia, uh, but to lead an army across like that in an army of tens of thousands of men and elephants, uh, this was something uh, that that was uh, never done. Uh, the, the people who marched from Italy to France, for example, they marched along the coast where it's nice and warm. Uh, Hannibal, uh, that that place, that that path was too well defended. So Hannibal marched across the Alps with an army which was really not done again uh, until the time of Napoleon. Uh, and so it was uh, an extraordinary thing uh, to do. He lost um, a lot of men doing it. It was a, a very risky thing to do. He lost a lot of elephants as well, uh, but. I think it was um, psychological warfare as much as anything. Uh, Hannibal, uh, the Romans felt very secure sitting in Italy behind, uh, protected by the Alps, uh, and Hannibal marched right over their walls, uh, so to speak, uh, and came down into the plain of the Po River, and uh, they were not expecting this at all. Still to come on the History Extra podcast. Oh, he was the ultimate bad guy, the boogeyman, the, the one that, that, that mothers would threaten their children with at night. You know, if they weren't good, that Hannibal would come and get them. We 
We don't always realize just how much our negative thoughts and experiences stick with us and weigh us down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mum does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash history extra today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash history extra. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now, you've obviously done a lot of research into Hannibal. Did you feel that you found out a lot more about the man himself? What is it about his character that enabled him to persuade so many people to follow him over this mountain range into the heart of Rome? I think he was an extraordinary, um, he was extraordinary at relating to men, uh, at relating to soldiers. I mean, he had grown up in the army. He knew what they wanted. He knew what motivated them. And they wanted, they wanted money. They wanted profit, sure, but they wanted glory. They wanted victory. Uh, and Hannibal, uh, was able to feed that, uh, his, uh, his Celtic soldiers. They had a different disposition from, say, the North African soldiers. And, and Hannibal was able to appeal to the those particular desires, those particular needs uh, of what they wanted, uh, and so he was—he uh, was just really, really good uh, at, uh, at at leading men. Uh, it's a—it's a rare talent, uh, but and one that certainly a lot of Roman generals did not have. Uh, but Hannibal—he uh, could be extremely tough uh, on his soldiers uh, and very demanding, and uh, and um, uh, very rough in his punishments as well. But they loved him. Uh, they loved him to the, uh, because they trusted him, and he led them to victory again and again. So you say he led them to victory. Can you kind of explain what happened next once he crossed the Alps? What what uh, course did the war take then? Well, he came down into the uh, the, the very warm plains of the Po River, uh, where there was a lot of food, uh, and so he began to build up his allies. Italy at this time in the uh, in the third century BC was not all Roman by any means, uh, and it was it, you know it wasn't for centuries. Uh, the northern part of it was Celtic, uh, a Celtic area that had just recently been conquered by Rome and was held uh, was barely held uh, by Rome. So 
Hannibal went in there and he started winning over Celtic allies, tribe by tribe, to fight with him because he needed them. He had lost a lot of men uh, uh, marching across the Alps. Uh, and so the Celts were uh, more than ready uh, to follow somebody who would lead them into victory. And so Hannibal goes down uh, to the Po River uh, and he has his first great battle uh, against uh, the Romans, uh, against um, uh, a man named Scipio. Uh, not the Scipio who would eventually beat him, that was his son, uh, but the elder Scipio. Uh, he has a, a great battle. Uh, Hannibal, uh, we have to remember, in every battle that he fought was outnumbered. Uh, the Romans always had more men. So Hannibal always had to use his brain. He always had to use strategy uh, in a way uh, that the Romans didn't. The Romans were very good fighters. Uh, we should never discount that. Uh, but Hannibal um, was able to, uh, he had a technique that he used multiple times that the Romans never really seemed to catch on to, uh, was uh, he, he had his um, uh, lesser number of men, uh, and he would try, uh, to, he, he would attack the Romans right in the middle, and then fall back uh, as if he was being beaten. And the Romans would say, yay, we're beating Hannibal. Uh, and they would push forward. And at the same time, Hannibal would send his troops around the sides and envelop the Romans. Uh, this was his standard technique uh, in order to beat the Romans, and it worked almost every time uh, against the Romans. He was able to do this in northern Italy uh, and then in other battles as he moved south down the peninsula over the next few years. Now, of course, your book is about Hannibal, but obviously Rome plays an enormous role within this story. So let's talk, let's talk about Rome for a little bit. I mean, what did Hannibal, what impact did his invasion have on the Roman psyche? Well, they were terrified. Uh, they were uh, people who had never uh, been beaten in their own country. I, I, you know, to, to look at it from a British analogy, it's if uh, you know somebody had, in, you know, Britain had not been has not been invaded since 1066. Uh, it's as if the French just you know showed up at Dover uh, and were marching towards London. It was uh, psychologically uh, shattering to them, uh, and they were absolutely terrified. They started praying to the gods. Uh, they did not uh, give up or surrender or anything like that. That was totally foreign uh, to the Romans. Uh, but they uh, they began to mobilize uh, their their armies. They recruited more people. Uh, and but it was always under this shadow of um, this this Hannibal is uh, is very very dangerous uh, and a tremendous threat uh, to the Republic. Now this is a story of failure as much as of triumph, isn't it? Um, there's an anecdote near the end of the book where you describe the moment in, I think it's 203 BC, when Hannibal sails back across the Mediterranean to North Af Africa. You describe the mountains of southern Italy disappearing over the horizon. And at this point, he seems to be a bit of a broken man. And Carthage is basically at, at the mercy of the Romans. Then a few pages on, you, there's this image of Hannibal as an old man swallowing poison as vengeful Roman troops close in on his home. This is far removed from his triumphant advance towards Rome a few years earlier. So where did it all go wrong? Why did this triumph then become a disaster? I think it happened at the Battle of 
of Cannae, or actually just after uh, the Battle of Cannae in 216 BC. This is where uh, Hannibal just thoroughly destroyed uh, the Roman armies, uh, probably killed 50, 60,000 Roman soldiers. And the road to the city of Rome itself lay open to him. He could have marched on Rome. It would have been very, very difficult and costly. But I think at that point, he could have conquered Rome, but he decided not to. Uh, He decided because Hannibal was still playing by the rules of ancient warfare. And the rules were that if you lost that many men, you worked something out, you surrendered, you made a deal uh, with uh, the enemy. But the Romans... Uh, they just could not conceive of that. And I think, I think Hannibal never really realized that until several years later that the Romans were simply not going to give up, that they were not like the Greeks or the Egyptians or the, or anybody else. Uh, they were not going to give up. And I think at that point, Hannibal realized that he missed his opportunity, uh, that the Romans were not going to quit, that they were going to keep fighting and that he was in Italy far away from home with um, a diminishing uh, number of allies. Allies. And so at, at that point, um, I, I think he's just, it's just a holding action for Hannibal to keep the Romans away from Carthage, to keep them away from North Africa. So he stays in Italy, uh, wandering around actually winning a lot of battles, uh, but the Romans were able to contain him at that point uh, in southern Italy while they launched wars in Spain and eventually against Carthage itself. And so Hannibal finally gave up and sailed back uh, to Carthage to face uh, Scipio and the Romans uh, on the plains of Zama. So are you arguing that Hannibal could have taken Rome, but he thought it was unnecessary to? I think he could have. Uh, I think he really believed that the Romans would surrender. I mean, it would have been extremely difficult to take Rome. And he, Rome, he would have lost a lot of men because Rome was a very well defended uh, city. It had great walls. But I think with all of his allies and building on the momentum of the victory at Cannae, that he could have done it. Uh, it's just that he didn't think that he needed to. He, he thought Rome was beaten when, in fact, they were not. Now, you write in your book, one could reasonably argue that without the greatest enemy they had ever faced, i.e. Hannibal, Rome never would have established a civilization that changed the world. What do you mean by that? Well, I think all of us are at our best when we have an adversary, for lack of a better word, somebody who pushes us uh, to do uh, to do better. And, and that's what Hannibal did to the Romans. The Romans were forced uh, to, uh, they were always a great military power, but they were forced to become a great international military power by Hannibal, able to run multiple armies uh, in multiple countries uh, around the Mediterranean. Uh, and, and Hannibal was really their schoolmaster uh, in this. Uh, and the Carthaginians uh, were the ones who forced them to become not just an Italian republic, but a Mediterranean empire uh, in order to defend themselves. Uh, and so I think without Hannibal, uh, Rome, uh, I think Rome would have grown. It might have still become the empire, uh, but it it uh, it honed them. Uh, it, it really made them a, a much uh, better army and a better state. And how large did the name of Hannibal 
loom in the Roman imagination for the, the following decades and centuries. Oh, he was the ultimate bad guy, the boogeyman, the, the one that, that, that mothers would threaten their children with at night. You know, if they weren't good, that Hannibal would come and get them. Uh, he, was, uh, he was never forgotten. And, and there was always a sneaking admiration for him. As much as the Romans, uh, you know, said he was a barbarian and, and, and did, was incredibly cruel and, and all of this, uh, they always admired admired him. He was the, the great foe, uh, and really, in, in some ways, the last great foe that they faced until the Germanic invasions in the uh, about 400 AD. Uh, he, he was uh, the, the one that pushed them to be their best. You describe how vengeful Roman troops raised Carthage in 146 BC, long after it presents, presented any real threat to their supremacy, and that the Romans even went to the lengths of asking priests to curse the ruins of Carthage after they'd utterly destroyed it. Was it because of their fear of Hannibal? Is it that that led them to go to such extreme measures? I think so, because they had bounced back from the, the, the defeat at the first Punic War to become an even greater threat. So they're defeated in the second uh, Punic War. Who's to say they couldn't, you know, bounce back again uh, and become uh, all, uh, another threat? And and so the Romans, uh, you know, in the Roman Senate, uh, they would say Carthago de linda est, a, a great phrase from first year Latin, Carthage must be destroyed. Uh, and I think it really was a fear ultimately of Hannibal uh, and uh, the, the determination of Hannibal that led them to obliterate, not just conquer Carthage, but obliterate it. How did things end for Hannibal himself? I mean, there's the anecdote in the book where there's a Roman soldiers closing on him and he drinks poison. I mean, do, do we think that is how it ended for him? Yeah, I think that is how it ended. But that took several decades later. Uh, after uh, Hannibal went back to Africa, he faced Scipio Africanus in the plains of Zama. He was beaten there. But when he was beaten, it was a really interesting reaction. Uh, some of the Carthaginians wanted to keep fighting. And Hannibal said, no, it is enough. Rome has won. If we keep fighting, they are going to destroy us. So he was able to, at least by several decades of survival for Carthage, uh, Hannibal actually became um, president, if you will, of Carthage uh, for a while. Uh, he uh, counseled uh, working with Rome, but Rome just, uh, there were, he had enemies in Rome that just would not let him go. Uh, they could not stand the fact that, Car uh, that Hannibal was sitting in Carthage in charge. Uh, and so uh, they uh, drove him out of Carthage. Uh, they drove him to the east. He wanders around for years uh, trying to be useful, um, going over to the, um, the, the Greek king uh, Antiochus and, and others uh, until he finally ends up in Asia Minor, up in uh, Turkey, uh, and the Romans are coming after him. He's an old, broken man, uh, but he refuses to give up. Uh, he refuses to surrender because he knows if he surrenders, they are going to take him back to Rome. They're going to march him in a triumphal parade and humiliate him. So he says no, and he takes poison, uh, and he kills himself to deny the Romans that prize. This is obviously a book of history that you've written, but it also contains a big what if at the end, doesn't it? And that what if is, what if Hannibal had won? You described this scenario of Hannibal standing atop the Capitoline Hill in triumph, selling Romans into slavery. So, I mean, what do you think would have happened if, if he'd have prevailed in, in Italy? Yeah, I had so much fun with that epilogue. Uh, it, it really, it's uh, it's speculative history, very, very speculative. But 
I, I tried to ground it in reality. So I think if Hannibal had won, uh, we would not have a Roman Empire. Uh, and uh, that would have had tremendous uh, influences uh, on uh, on European history. I think if Hannibal had won, um, then the, the, the various uh, cities and, and nations of Italy would have taken over. The Greeks would have reasserted themselves in the south, the Celts in the north. Uh, we would never have had uh, Julius Caesar. We would never have had uh, Gaul divided into three parts. We never would have had um, the, the Romans come into in the city of Londinium uh, in, in Britain. Uh, so I think uh, it, it would have been, uh, some things would have been the same, uh, I think. Uh, but Carthage, I think, would have spread uh, much better, uh, uh, much more widely uh, without the Romans. Uh, they um, already had trading posts all over the Mediterranean and down the African coast. I think they would have kept going. I think they probably would have made it to India and China. China, uh, maybe across uh, to America. Uh, I think it would have, uh, they would have been a much more um, uh, um, uh, merchant sort of empire, just continuing how they always were, as opposed to the Romans. Uh, and uh, so I, I don't think that uh, anybody would have been learning Latin uh, in school. And I think I would have been out of a job actually teaching it. So I would have been a Carthaginian teacher rather than a Latin teacher. Now, you mentioned there Julius Caesar, and you've written a book about Julius Caesar and Alexander the Great, obviously two icons of uh, ancient history. How would you say Hannibal compares to those two great figures? Well, he was absolutely one of the, the top three. Uh, I would put Alexander and Julius Caesar and Hannibal together uh, if I if I ever had to, to pick uh, the, the top three generals, the top three leaders uh, of the ancient world. I mean, which one was the best? Well, that's tough to say. Uh, they, they each had their own qualities. Alexander uh, certainly was able to conquer more territory, uh, but Hannibal, uh, I think, was absolutely the most tenacious uh, of the three. Uh, and Julius Caesar, brilliant as he was, uh, was, uh, I don't think he had uh, the drive that Hannibal did. And finally, Philip, what impression did you have of Hannibal when you started researching this book? And how did that change by the time you'd finished the book? Well, I started uh, as uh, thinking as most people that that Hannibal was a brilliant general, uh, but uh, basically a, a savage, a barbarian. Uh, and because I had relied on the Roman sources, sort of a surface reading, but I came away from it uh, appreciating that although Hannibal uh, could be uh, a quite cruel and brutal, uh, just like every general was in the ancient world, that he also, there was more to him. Uh, he was a man who loved his country. Uh, he was a man who was a great administrator. He was a man who was a great leader. Uh, he could relate to people. I think he would have been a fascinating person uh, to have gotten to know uh, and to talk to. Uh, so I came away with a picture not of uh, of, of 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 sunshine and, and flowers with Hannibal, but uh, but a picture of uh, a richer and a fuller picture uh, of Hannibal uh, as uh, as a as as quite a remarkable man. That was Philip Freeman. Hannibal, Rome's Greatest Enemy, is published by Pegasus Books. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Jack Bateman. Listener.